0: confession last week that I love Christmas, so I will not make that confession again this week. I'm just telling you that I'm a, I'm a vulnerable man. I love Christmas. Um, whoops. And, and I, I'm, I'm super excited just to celebrate today. I want to reread uh, the passage that Stephen already read and just call attention just to one word in there. And we may have already let the cat out of the bag, but uh, this is the third week of Advent. And today, man, that one word is just joy. Just just joy. Um, so let's look at Luke chapter two, uh, verse ten and eleven. It says, "And the angels said to them, Fear not, for behold, or look, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord.'" Man, the thing that I love about uh, Christmas in kind of our neo-orthodoxy or our new our new understanding of what it means to follow Jesus as the Church is the fact that if we do this well, like even like I'm not trying to remove responsibility from us from the rest of the year and what we need to do, but if, if we do this season well, it will carry the gospel for 11 months. And I'm not saying that we don't share the gospel for the other 11 months, but it's it's almost like somebody who they make their money in the summer, whatever their job may be, I don't know what somebody would be, but it's like, you know, they're going to make all that money during the summer so that they can live the rest of the year just kind of, you know, surfing or climbing rocks or whatever. I don't know what people do when they have that kind of free time. But like if we do this season well, like if we proclaim the good news of Jesus and the joy is evident in our life as, as a result of what is brought, the fact that joy was born in the Form of a baby in a manger, that joy grew up, that joy died for my sins, that joy died for your sins. And if we just place our faith in that joy for a life with God, if we do this season well, it will carry the gospel for 11 months. But what has to happen in order for us to carry that joy well is for us to think incredibly well, precisely, and succinctly about what is occurring in history because of Jesus. What was brought in the form of a baby in a manger? The angels appeared to the shepherds in the, the middle of the night, and, and a lot of stuff was just going crazy. The fact that they appeared to the shepherds was crazy enough. Um, kind of the dregs of society, the people that you would not take home to meet mom or dad. Um, and just they just said this. They said, look, behold, I bring you good news. In the, the span of things, it would be the best news. Good news of great joy that will be for all the people For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Today, in this season, we get to celebrate joy. We get to celebrate that joy came to earth, joy was born, joy lived, joy died, joy rose, and we can call his name Jesus. And that's big. Here's the issue, though, when we celebrate joy. We talked about last week when we were um, looking at peace. Um, As followers of Jesus, we must allow Scripture to be our lexicon or the way that we think about these words and these ideas, Um, and joy is no different. Because if we take joy and we hold it up to the world's definition of joy, uh, it will be defined simply as a feeling of great pleasure And happiness, It will be relegated into the same drawer that we put other emotions, such as happiness, sadness, uh, discontent, all of those things. It will be simply an emotion. But again, if we're allowing Scripture to be our lexicon to define the things that we put in place, uh, then we have to understand that Scripture talks about joy from the beginning all the way to the end. And it mentions it in several different categories. But it can basically be boiled down to two uh, distinct ideas about joy. Uh, One we find in Romans 15, 13. I think we've got that that we can throw up there. Uh, This is the first thing that we need to understand about joy. Romans 15, 13, it says, May the God of hope fill you with with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. The first idea that we need to understand about joy, and this is just so that we can get to what we're going to talk about, is joy is a gift from God. It's not simply an emotion. It's not simply a byproduct of our circumstance. It's not an emotion that we put in the drawer with everything else to pull out at our whim based on how things are going. Uh, Joy is a gift from God. It is created and placed in us as a result of the fact that God is outside of time, outside of space, and he can see how this story ends. He can see where it's going to wrap up. He can see where it's going to conclude, like we talked about last week, like those two definitions of peace are going to be brought together and made into one when Christ returns. Same idea with joy. Joy is the ability to remove ourselves from the feeling of our circumstance and look at how things are going to wrap up. And God can do that, and he grants us that uh, by grace, Charisma, He gives us that as a grace gift to have joy. The second thing that we need to understand about joy, though, in the context of Scripture, if we look at James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, this is another idea about joy. Not only is it a gift from God, but here, in the context of suffering and trials and tests, it says, count it all joy, or consider it joy, or have joy in this, my brothers and my sisters, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be made perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. The second thing that we need to understand about joy before continuing is not only is joy a gift from God, but it's a choice on our part. We have to choose joy. We have to choose that in the midst of any various circumstances, we have to trust what God says and the way that it's going to wrap up, and we have to choose to believe in that more than the voices of circumstance. I was thinking about this this week. It's a lot like watching any particular Disney animated movie, like one that you've seen before. We can know this about any Disney animated movie, Lion King in specific, that the first thing that happens is you meet characters, and they're great, and you fall in love with them. You're like, man, Mufasa, he's awesome. Mufasa's going to live forever. And then you got cute little Simba, you know, on the rock, Stephen, you know, holding him up on the rock. You've got Simba. And then all of a sudden, after you fall in love with the characters, tragedy happens. I hate to give it away, but Mufasa gets killed by his own brother. It's terrible. And Simba thinks he's done it. And then Simba becomes an orphan, and he's placed out. Happiness is this. Happiness is trusting in the characters that we meet in the beginning, and everything's good. But if we're trusting in our circumstance to build our joy, when Mufasa dies, we're out of luck. But the, problem, the deal becomes if we've seen the movie or if we've seen any Disney movie, we know that they end really, really well. And so joy is like seeing a Disney movie, watching it again, and when Mufasa dies, you're know, like, you know what? It's terrible, but it's okay because I know how it concludes. I know that it's going to be good. I know Simba's going to come back, and he's going to be a king, and he's going to sing a lot of great, catchy songs in the, in the meantime. You know, that's joy. Joy is knowing how it ends and choosing to believe in that over our circumstances, no matter how many times Mufasa dies. And he dies every time you watch the movie, believe it or not. This is joy. And so I think about those two ideas of joy, that joy is a gift from God, but also joy is our choosing to believe in the end versus the now whether the now is good or bad, we're trusting in the, 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 the efficacious nature of Christ to wrap everything up in its proper way, which is going to bring the most possible glory to God. We believe in that. Um, but then I try to think, well, what is the one place in Scripture that kind of unifies these ideas? And so it takes these abstract notions of, of joy and it brings them to one place. And I, I land in, in John chapter 15. John chapter 15, verse 11. If we can throw this up there. It says, these things I have spoken to you. These are the words of Jesus. This is the last in this particular chapter. It's the last of seven I am statements by Jesus to his small group of disciples. And he says, these things I have spoken to you that my joy coming from Jesus may be in you and that your joy may be full. So it takes the idea that joy is a gift from God, but then it places it with both the other definition that joy is also here by my choosing. He says, these things I tell you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. But, of course, we read this one verse that unifies so much, and we have to ask the question, and this is a great question, well, what are these things? What are these things? So we're going to go to John chapter 15, and we're going to spend the rest of our time there, and we're going to walk through this idea of these things things that Jesus said to his 12. He said, these things I tell you so that my joy that I give you willingly and by grace will be in you, but that your joy that you choose will be full. Let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you that joy is not of our making, but it starts with you. We thank you, God, that because of Jesus, this joy is possible, and it's not an emotion. Uh, It's not just something that we can pull out on a whim, but God, it's from you, and it's for you, and it's to us. God, we thank you for your word today. We thank you that it's true, that it's without error, and that it guides us to a place that we look more and more like Jesus whom you sent in the form of a baby that we get to celebrate. God, we love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So John 15, verse 1. uh, We'll start there. Jesus often spoke in metaphor. He spoke in metaphor that people would understand at the time, very much in agrarian society. People farmed, they grew things, they knew that stuff, um, and so this is the way that he's going to speak. And we're going to start 15 verse 1. I'm going to go ahead and read 1 all the way through 11, and then we'll come back and, and see what we feel like Jesus is telling us today through his word. 15 verse 1, it says, I am the true vine, and my father the vine dresser or gardener. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. But by this my Father is glorified, that you may bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. I love when Scripture is direct. Like, there are times, like if we read the parables, like, granted, We'll read the parables, and and most of the time, you can even see that the disciples struggle with it. And Jesus is like, okay, so you're not understanding. Well, let me explain. But I love the times in which, even though this is a metaphor, at the very end of it, Jesus concludes it. He's like, these things that I've just said to you, like right here, I didn't speak in verses, but they're written in verses here. These things I've said to you so that you may have my peace, my joy, and so that your joy may be full or overflowing. I want us to look at, at five things in this passage, and I'm really not a point guy, but I, I see like five things that jump out here in this particular uh, chapter. Ways, these things that Jesus gave us so that we could have peace. The first thing, 15 verses 1 through 3, it says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser or gardener. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. The first thing that Jesus is telling the disciples so that they may have his joy and that the joy that is in us may be full and complete is that we have to understand this. And this is part of being able to look down and see the way it's finished versus our current circumstance. Just simply, Jesus connects us to the Father. Simple, straight, beautiful truth. And it affects the way we view the outcome. Jesus, and only Jesus connects us to the Father. In this particular passage, he says that, that I am the true vine, like the one and only, the only way. He says this later in Scripture and in other places that I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He makes a statement of exclusivity here again. He says, I am the true vine, the it, the only, the one. And he says, because of me, you can now be connected to the father, the gardener, the vine dresser here. Speaking in agrarian terms, this vine was like a grapevine that, that grew grapes. And the point of a grape was to feed people, sustain people. And it was also the point to make more grapes, all of those things. He says that I connect you to God. And through this, the father has access to grow us, to shape us, and to make us ready for purpose. He says, I'm the true vine. Uh... And through you, uh, through me, the Father, He's the vine dresser. He has, he has access. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away. But every branch that does bear fruit, He prunes so that it may bear more. Through this access, God is ready to, to shape us and make us ready to be bearers, ready to be on that vine, but not just on that vine, but there for a purpose, there for a reason, which we'll get to. And also in that he says, already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. The other thing that we need to see is that uh, because of Jesus, him connecting us to God, like we're clean, we're good. We talked about last week this idea of biblical peace. This idea of biblical biblical peace is there is now because of Jesus' peace between us and God. God is not mad at us. God is not at war with us. We are not contrary to God. Same idea here. Jesus is saying, because of me, the vine which you're on, and the vine dresser now has access to you, you are clean. You're acceptable. You're okay to be touched by the gardener. You're good. You're in. You're in. He's saying you don't have to earn it. You don't have to fight to keep it. I've already done that. Man, if that doesn't affect our joy, if that doesn't affect our ability to see beyond circumstance, to see beyond struggle, man, nothing will. To know that I don't have to fight to have salvation. Do I have to fight once I've had it to to sanctify and to move closer to a, a picture of Jesus? Yes, but do I have to fight to earn it? No. He says, You are clean, you're acceptable. So joy as a result. The second thing I think that we see that after Jesus connects us to God, it affects our joy. He says in verse 4, he says, "...abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing." If anyone does not bear, abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers for the branches that are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. And so it, it creates this picture for us that once a vine or once a branch is taken away from the tree or the vine, it, it doesn't work anymore. It doesn't work anymore. Like my father-in-law is notorious about anywhere that we go, he, make, he takes cuttings off of stuff. We'll be in a national park. I hope nobody's listening to this that's going to arrest my father-in-law, but we'll be in a national park and there's signs that says, do not not take any plants out of here. My father-in-law pulls out a knife, takes a cut, and he's like, I'm going to plant this in my yard in Kentucky. I don't care if it's invasive, if it kills everything. doesn't matter. But what we've come to conclude is like most of the time, if we cut something off and we just leave it there, guess what? It's going to wither. It's going to die. It's going to do nothing. The second thing that this passage is telling us is that, man, for it to affect our joy, we need to understand that Jesus and only Jesus— Is our strength. Jesus and only Jesus is our strength. I'm telling you things, these things, so that you may have my joy and that your joy may be complete. We have to understand that Jesus and only Jesus is our strength. If we take ourselves away from the vine and try to do it on our own, we will wither and we will die. And it says all of those that are apart from the vine, when they're taken away, they wither, they die, they're gathered, they're thrown into a fire, they're burned. Pretty graphic depiction. We can do nothing apart from the vine, and you're like, well, that, that sounds terrible. No, I think Jesus is telling us, if you want to live in this purpose that I'm alluding to here, stick with me, stay with me. That abide, that word literally means to like live, walk, breathe in, or uh, some translations will say remain with me, stick with me, stay with me. You stay with me, you stick with me, you remain with me, strength follows. You're made for something, you can only do it with me. And I think that affects my peace. It affects my peace to know that if if I stay as close as I can to the vine my strength will never run out because Jesus doesn't. He is eternal. So are the ways that he grants me to live this life. To live in this purpose. That's that's great joy giving advice and words. Jesus is our strength. But here's the thing that that keeps getting brought up here. He says abide in me and and I will in you and branch cannot bear fruit by itself. This idea of of fruit, it can be confusing. Because I think most of the time in in life, we're like, man, if you're bearing much fruit, that may mean that your 401k looks great, um, that your house just got another story, you know, if you add a story to your house, which is probably not a good call. Foundation wasn't rated for it. But anyway, I'm not an engineer. I don't know these things. Um, Maybe it means that you have a big, beautiful family and all their teeth are straight. I don't know. Maybe you bear much fruit in the sense that, that you've gotten five promotions in the last year and you stepped on a couple people to do it. I, I don't know, but most of the time our idea of bearing fruit looks very different from what Scripture says. Imagine now, just close your eyes, and, and you don't have to close your eyes, but just remember in this particular part the metaphor is, is, is very physical. It's a vine, and on that vine are grapes, and this is the fruit of the vine which is attached to God, the, cor- the source of all strength. So what is, what is that fruit? It's more than success, it's more than money, it's more than the gathering of all these beautiful, shiny things. So what, what is that? There's another idea before we get to that. Uh, in verse, verse 7, it says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, let's stop. Different statement. Different statement. Because up until now, he's saying, if you abide in me and I abide in you, then this, then this, then this. But this statement is different. See if you pick it up. It says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. See, now Jesus has also given us a prescription for how we pray. The thing that vexes most of us very often, we're like, why do I pray? How do I pray? Remember the Old Testament series that we just got out of after almost half a year when we looked at Nehemiah 1 and 2 and we looked at the way that Nehemiah prayed? Remember that Nehemiah, the way that he prayed is he was just echoing things that God had already said by basically saying, I agree with you, God. Like, all the things that you said were going to come to pass, yeah, those are what I want. In this particular place, in between two big ideas, Jesus is like, hey, if you abide in me and my words... Abide in you. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be given to you. The other thing is this, it's, not simple, it's not just simply sticking close to Jesus, but it's allowing like, his ideas, his heart, his words to infect me, to change me. And so that when the things come out of my mouth that I am asking for, man, they're the heart of God. Why? Because he abides in me. He lives in me. And when he lives in me, walks in me, breathes in me, What comes out is him. And so I'm asking for his will. But for us, we have to understand, like, even though some of these things are almost like passive sanctification, this one right here, there's some implication that there's action required on our part. He says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, how do we think that his words get in us? I would love if it was osmotic equivalency that we could wet the Bible and wet our head and lay on it at night. You know, it would have been great in biology if we could have studied like that in college, but it never really worked that way. I, I know some guys that put their, you know, their textbook under their pillow hoping that it would work, but it doesn't work like that. For us, it requires effort. It requires diligence. Uh, it requires patience. It requires all these things of us constantly being in God's Word because we want them to live in us, dwell in us, abide in us. So the fact that they get out of us, even in the forms of our prayers, it, it requires effort, consistency, discipline, words that we don't like in this culture. But it's the truth. I mean the life of a disciple after all is a disciplined life. I mean in Latin they would agree. They come from the same place. In order for these words to live in us they have to get in us on a regular routine and directed basis. And maybe 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 in January this is what's coming for you new year's resolutions. I'm not saying that I'm a huge fan. But maybe there's New Year's resolutions, and your resolution is I'm going to read Scripture for an hour a day. I would say start smaller. I would say start smaller. Let's do realistic. If you set a goal too big and you fail the very first week, you throw your hands up. Start smaller. Download the Dwell app. (laughs) Download Dwell. Neil Neil tossed that one at me. And there's a guy with this rich African accent, and when he reads Isaiah, you're like, man, I feel it. I mean, find ways. Find ways for God's Word to abide in you. And so that when it's time for them to come out, they're there. They're there. Yes, it's supernatural, but yes, it's disciplined on our part. He says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it shall be granted. Why? Because it was God's word to start with. And we're just saying, God, you know what? I agree with what you have declared. And now I'm asking for it. I'm asking for it. So this third part, all of this to say that Jesus hears our prayers and he answers. Jesus hears our prayers, and he answers. Verse 8, back to this idea of fruit. He says, By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. I think very often when we ask, you know, like, what is the fruit of a believer? The very first place we go, we go to Galatians, and we're like, well, obviously the fruit of a believer is, you know, those, you know, those beatitudes, those things, you know, the, the, and, and then also the fruits of the Spirit, the Beatitudes coming in the Sermon on the Mount, and then the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians, like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control, all of those things, the things that I couldn't remember last week because I had 30 scripture references, but, but all of those things, we think that those are the fruits of the Spirit. But remember, the context here is not talking about the qualities of a grape being the fruit. In this case, we have a picture of a vine. It's growing fruit already, and that's us, by the way. We are fruits of Jesus, and he's telling us that we need to be fruitful as well, that that we need to bear much fruit. The fruit of a believer is not just love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control, and all those things. That's the fruits of the Spirit that's working out in me. The fruits of a believer on the vine are more grapes And I don't know if that hits you, but it needs to. It needs to land squarely on us that Jesus did not redeem us so that we could be better people. No, Jesus redeemed us, came to be born in the form of a joy-bringing baby so that he could live a life, so that we could trust in that joy, so that more grapes could be added to the vine. And that's my job. That's your job. It's not our job to save, but it's our job to bring people to the vine dresser, to the gardener through Jesus, so that they can be grafted in just like I was. If we do this season well, if we have joy well, if Jesus is affecting us and infecting us to the point that it gets out, we will bring many to the vine dresser, and they will be grafted in, and they will become fruit like us who is called to bear more fruit. And you say, why? Why is it such a big deal? Because this is why Jesus came. This is it. He didn't come so that I could be a better version of myself. No, he came to redeem all mankind. It says, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto us this day is born a baby in the city of David, and he shall be Christ the Lord. Because more fruit needs to be brought in. More people need to have the joy that we have been so divinely granted already by grace through faith. And according to Romans 10, faith comes through hearing and hearing the Word of God. They must hear of our joy, we must tell them of our joy. It's not up to your pastor, it's not up to your small group leader. It's not up to your spouse to tell your neighbors and your coworkers about the joy that you have found, the joy that is so precious. It's, it's not our job. It's yours. And it's mine. It's ours. Joy is meant to be shared so that other people can have it too. You say, "Well, that's not fair. It's not. But I don't think salvation is very fair either, to be honest. I don't deserve Jesus. If I tried to earn it, I, I, I couldn't earn grace. There's no hope for me apart from Jesus. None. He says, by this, my Father is glorified that you may bear much fruit, much fruit, not just a little, but much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. The way that we prove that we are Jesus' disciples or we're on the exact same mission that he's on. We're following him, we're learning from him, we're imitating him and his deal is, he came so that many could know. We get to continue that mission every single day. The only difference is I don't get to save people. Jesus did. But I get to talk about the same good news that was wrapped up in a manger, who lived a perfect life, who died a sinner's death, even though he had none. Man, Paul talks about in 1 Timothy, where he's talking to his spiritual son, Timothy, in verse 15, he says, uh, you need to know this saying is trustworthy, that Jesus came to save sinners, of which I'm the worst. And Jesus came to save sinners. Praise God. He came to save sinners. And we're probably all on an equal footing because we're all terrible. <laughs> we're great at sinning, we're terrible in relation to God. But that's exactly why Jesus came. There's great joy there. Huge joy. The beauty in all of this in verse 8 the truth that affects our joy is that, believe it or not, we being the worst of sinners, we can bring glory to God. And that's crazy talk. <laughs> I mean, that's just ludicrous. To think that my life, as void as it should be, like one of those checks that the stamp is on, void, burn it, it's no good. Like, that's me. God says, you can bring me glory. I can bear much fruit and be like Jesus. Whew. Merry Christmas. <laughs> I mean, that's a present. That's a present under the tree that's, that's got a big old bow. It's for all people by grace through faith. Here's the last part. Verse 9 and 10, it says, "And As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. Walk, breathe, talk, live in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Man, the beauty and almost the conclusion of this is that Jesus loves us. We sang it as kids. Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. It does over and over. There should be great joy here that Jesus loves me. Jesus loves you. That's huge. I know we say it a lot, like, man, God loves you. But, like, do we feel the gravity of that? Like, God, the author, the creator of all things, loves me, loves you. To the point to where he sent his only son to be born in flesh, which was a huge, huge stepping down, humbling to be insulted his entire life, to leave the things that were characteristics and things due him as a result of his deity, to leave all of that because sinners need to be saved. And then he just says, look, you live in me, I will live in you. And if you, if you want to prove it, just do what I ask. Do what I ask. He said, this will be evident that I love you and that you love me if you keep my commandments. If you do what I did, he says. Because he said, just as I did with the Father. Read Philippians 2. Same idea. Kanuo, letting go of his divine right and instead willingly subjecting himself to the will of the Father. He said, Do as I did. He said, I displayed my love for my dad, your God, the vine dresser, in the same way that you can do it for me. I submitted to his desires, submit to mine show your love for me that I display for you. Jesus loves us. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. That in spite of my flaws, my arrogance, my shortcomings, my lack of humility, I could go on and on and on. Jesus loves me. And Jesus loves you. And he says these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. It's easy to focus on a lot of varying things this time of year. But I think this list of Jesus connects us to God. Jesus and only Jesus is our strength. Uh, Jesus hears our prayers and answers if it's his words that are coming back out of us. Uh, We can bring glory to God, how how crazy and how unfair that is and that Jesus loves us, if it's just those five things, man, that's a thick list. A thick list. And it does allow us, it allows us perspective to see the good, the best, that good news that those angels talked about way over the bad that we're experiencing at any given point in our life. Because that's big good, really big good. Let's celebrate Jesus this year. Let's celebrate it so well that people see it. And I'm not giving you a, like a formula as to how to live the gospel out in one month so that it covers you for 11. Obviously, that's metaphor too. But, but just think, if that joy is on us really well, perfectly, imagine what it will do for months, for years to come in people's lives. Imagine. God, we love you, we thank you for joy that we can't explain, we thank you for joy that we can't earn, we thank you, not intending to rhyme, but joy that we can't contain. God, I thank you for that joy, I thank you for the joy that is wrapped up in Jesus, that because of him, the good news that you promised, we can experience, we can live, we can trust in him to know you, you can have access to us, and we can have access to you. God, I thank you for that. I thank you for your word. I even thank you for the promise that apart from you, I can do nothing. And it just reminds me to stay close, to stay on the vine. God, I pray that this could be a year coming that would be a year of fruitfulness. It would be a year in which people can see the joy that we have as a result of Jesus, our Savior, and as a result of the Spirit working himself out in us. And God, I pray that you would call many unto yourself this year as a result of the lives that you've infected in this church, in this city. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your promises. Thank you for your joy that's meant to be shared. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen.